Get the duck boats ready. Get the duck boats ready. We got the cup. Duck and yellow, duck and yellow. You want to talk about a team? This is a team. You guys wanted it. We got it. Let's have some fun. Cue the memories presented by Bud Light. What's up, everyone, and welcome into another episode of Cue the Memories presented by Bud Light. Andrew Ferentz, hello, sir. Hello, sir. How are you doing? Not bad. So, 4th of July weekend here in the United States. 10 years ago, was the party still rolling on at this stage of the summer? That's a really good question. Um, not for me. I think a couple guys were still going pretty strong, as we heard from Brad Marchand. He was probably getting a phone call right about now, I guess. Yeah. But I think 4th of July... You know what? I think I went to the Boston Pops that year and down to the Esplanade uh, with the family and watched the, you know, the whole shebang. I mean, it's just incredible. We were, we were just talking about it. it was Canada Day here yesterday. So we watched fireworks. Yeah. And uh, my wife and I were actually talking. We we're like, what are the best fireworks we ever saw? And uh, we both referenced the, down the Esplanade. Nice. It was, that's absolutely awesome. So light party, family party. And the cup wasn't there though, right? No cop. No, I, I have honestly no idea. It starts traveling pretty quick, actually. You know, you get, you win it, and then you have about uh, two, three days where it's absolute chaos because, um, you know, you see the keeper of the cup that brings it on the ice with the, you know, nice gloves and all that. And then the keeper of the cup travels with it for each individual player's day. But you have a two or three day window right after you win it where there's no keeper of the cup. And mm -hmm. it's extremely high risk, if you ask me. But uh, <laughs> after a couple of days, he shows up and then they, you know, they take it and they start uh, prepping it for its, its grand tour. So no cup for me. Okay. Well, on today's episode, we have another great guest uh, with us. One of my favorite Bruins nicknames ever, I think. It's the sheriff, Shane Knighty. Uh, what can you tell us about Shane and what he brought to the bees when he was there? I was thinking about sheriff uh, today and what I was going to say here. Um, as background and you know what it's funny because i just listened to our sean thornton episode mm -hmm. um yesterday uh as i'm driving around and sheriff is kind of like thorny except a much better backward skater <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that's that might be the shortest description of our intros but it, it's actually pretty true they both were incredible leaders within the locker room uh, both had you know a very commanding a voice within the locker room as far as keeping things on the tracks and, you know, keep, especially with young guys and, and, you know, guys that, uh, you know, maybe on the black aces, you know, had to stay ready to play. And then also like we were referenced with authority when it was time to play and go on the ice, they kept the other teams in line, you know? So authority, of course, we all know where his nickname came from because we're incredibly uncreative, <laughs> but the sheriff is a fairly descriptive uh, nickname for Shane Knighty. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I was thinking about it too. Like, I feel like I agree with you. Those two guys are so similar. And again, we keep going back to it, but you know, the veteran guys on that team, even if they didn't have a huge role on the ice, like Shane played three games, I think in the playoffs, but he had a huge impact. I mean, just his presence and, you know, his leadership and, and, you know, being able to contribute in that way was huge. Um, and I think that that helped that team so much to have that those kind of guys that were in the room and you know around the team and um when they came in they were able to contribute on the ice as well well i'm looking forward to talking to the sheriff and uh we'll see if he he talks tough I, I, whenever i picture him i just see this like commanding voice and now i get to hear him you know call games and whatnot he's still got it mm -hmm. uh, I, I like listening to him a lot so uh looking, looking forward to the chat absolutely we'll be back to 
welcome in Shane Knighty on Cue the Memories presented by Bud Light right after this. Cue the Memories, brought to you by Bud Light. Score exclusive merch and more at BudLightLegends.com. And we're back on Cue the Memories presented by Bud Light and so happy to be joined now by Shane Knighty. Shane, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, guys. This is great. Hi, Shane. This is going to be by far our best interview just because we have somebody that actually knows media <laughs> and has such a sweet, sweet voice. I don't know about that, but uh, yeah, I've watched a few of these. Uh, you know, guys guys are used to interviews, but not. Uh, it's tough, right? As you get out of the game, you kind of open up more. And yeah, I guess I talk for a living, so I guess the pressure's on. But I can't even imagine. The guys that are still playing... It's amazing the difference between the conversations you can have with those guys versus the guys that have been out for a while and are just like, whatever, I don't care about <laughs> saying whatever I want, talking about how I feel. But I mean, that's your day to day, I guess, right? Oh, it is. It really is. You know what? You know what I find fascinating? Obviously, we didn't do it in the last year, but as an analyst, you know, when you travel, you go in room to room and it's interesting, you know, take a guy like Segi. Like he was 18. And now I talk to him as one of the old guys when you go in there and to hear the maturity and how much he's grown from when, you know, we played with him and you're trying to mold a young player or help him out. And now he's doing the same. He's, you know, grown in his maturity, his leadership, his skills. And, uh, you know, it's, it's fascinating to see that growth and have the ability to, to talk to those guys as well. So for all the Bostonians that go to sleep early and don't catch games out West or just have a, a <laughs> hatred for the, 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 the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, fill us in exactly what you're doing. I mean, I know we obviously touched on it, your analyst and whatnot, but, you know, give us uh, your path after, after you retired from hockey and uh, quickly up to where you are now. Yeah. So it was kind of an interesting path. Uh, obviously it was a strange year, even the cup year joined the team late came in and his depth kind of knew what was expected. And, you know, I had a severe rotator cuff injury that kept me out that it happened in a, a training camp uh, the previous September. Um, and then, you know, I went home and, and a lot of things happened that summer. I was still planning on playing. The Winnipeg Jets, which is my home province, had moved from Atlanta. It was going to be their first year in the league. And we had conversations with them about possibly, you know, signing. They didn't want to sign. They said, well, come for a tryout. At that point, I didn't really uh, think that. So I started looking at other things. And literally the day I got the Stanley Cup in August, I was traveling from Winnipeg to my small town in Nepal, which is like 3,500 people to celebrate the day. And I got a call from TSN saying, would you be interested in going into, you know, being the radio analysis for our games? And I'm like, huh? I said, well, I can't really talk right now. Why don't we talk in a few days? So it progressed from there. And uh, I started doing radio, calling the games as the analyst and learning how the toughest adjustment and, and you're doing it right now. I always found early was to go to interview players. And they basically just handed me a mic and said, go. So, you know, doing the game kind of came naturally to me. You know, you got to have timing, when to jump in, when to jump out, how to analyze the game. But the interviews uh, were my least favorite part. Eventually it's gotten better. So I did radio for two years and it was in year two in Winnipeg calling the Jets games, which was cool for me to see that team come back to my home province and be part of it. And uh, somebody couldn't make a TV game and I'll remember So they're like, you got to do it. I'm like, okay. Uh, and I, you know, they, they strapped the thing and it was between the benches. And, you know, for me, first of all, you know, you get there and you see fans, you're looking, you, I got to really focus. I can lose focus easily in a game. There's a lot going on around you, especially when you're between the glass and you know, they give me this wireless thing and they're like, okay, you can talk to the producer, the director, you talk to them throughout the game. They're giving me this. I'm like, well, 
don't I got to listen to my poet? Yeah, but you've also got to mark clips. If you see something you like, mark it so you can go back and talk and this, like, oh, and watch the game and listen to the play-by-play guy. I'm like, this is, anyways, I did it. And for whatever reason, it was just a natural fit. And you know how it is as a player, you know, we, I always say when I describe us when we're playing and, you know, I think fair, you're, you're one of those guys who's probably more planned out than the majority of us. I think we have a sense of immortality. You never want to look at an end. I think that's what drives you as an athlete to continue your career because you never think of it ending. That's what competitive athletes do. So for the first time, you know, radio was great. I loved it. But when I did that TV game, it was for, I remember going home and I said, now I know what I want to do. And uh, so, yeah, I got into to being a TV analyst with uh, TSN covering the Jets. I also got to do world championships, did some national games, kind of grew uh the resume did some world junior um stuff for tsn which was a tremendous place to work they were great to me and it was a tough decision when uh, i heard vegas was coming into the league uh it was just a kind of myself and family decision that hey that would be cool okay you know and, and there was pressure from them you got to get that. i'm like well i can't just get it you have there's an application it was the first ever resume i had to write i got some help i'll tell you i'm not gonna lie to that but, you know, it's another skill that, you know, as a player, you, you don't have. And, and guys need to understand that now when I talk to them. And uh, so I did a resume filled out. There's like 200 applicants here. Uh, but what attracted me to Vegas, like I love being in my home province covering the Winnipeg Jets. I, I find it was a great way to grow our game. Hockey's been my life. So coming to Vegas was more than just calling games. It was to, I had a belief. I, I had a gut feeling that it was going to be successful, not in my wildest imaginations that I think it would be what it is. It's sur- surpassed that by miles, uh, especially what they did in year one. So anyways, yeah, a ton of applicants. And I was very fortunate to get the job along with who everybody in Boston knows. Dave Gosher is my partner has become one of my best friends. Uh, we love working together, great chemistry. And, uh, you know, it's been four years and what a ride it's been to, to be part, especially that you know, what I call the most historic inaugural season in pro sport, especially when it fell or came after a tragedy that happened on one October here in Las Vegas with the shooting. Um, that city, the city, the people and the organization just bonded over that. And it really it became such a special moment that year for for people to find an escape. And and then the team is just built from there. And not only that, the other part I was talking about. Uh, grassroots hockey growing they, the, the numbers are incredible here how how hockey has become the sport here in Vegas it's really tremendous to be a part of uh, you know I've helped out kids I've helped start the, the first high school hockey team here and my son's on it so obviously there's a little more of a connection there um, we've kind of revamped that schedule or uh, that whole program this year so it's going to be interesting going into next year and you know just helping out with VGK uh, camps and and yeah, hockey's grown. So, you know, beyond just the Golden Lights part, the, the ability to, to grow a sport that's been so good to me has been uh, maybe just as rewarding, if not more. Man, that's awesome. <laughs> it's so good to hear a guy like you can clearly <laughs> tell that like you're jacked to like be doing what you're doing. Oh, yeah. Like it's it's so great. Um, yeah. To hear that as opposed to like, oh, I'm, I'm golfing, you know, five times a week. I know. I, well, right now I got so much. And then on the side of it, I've as I said, do you, and, and we know guys come in the game. I want to help guys. So, you know, I needed a golden night to retire. So Derek England retired. Um, so when he, as soon as he did, we've been in contact and we're trying to start up the first uh, Vegas golden Knights alumni, but not only with Vegas golden Knights, it's uh, there's a lot of ex pro players here in the city that, uh, 
it's a chance to have them together, help guys out. We want to be players helping players to give back to the community. And uh, so, yeah, that's been another project. So uh, I've, I've kept busy. I've kept busy. They're actually been really busy with all that lately. And, uh, but it's been good because I haven't traveled in a year. So I get bored easy. So, so your fear is in, do you feel <laughs> like an analyst now? Or? I would say an analyst, especially when I watch the speed of the game. I'm glad I'm not a hockey player. Connor McDavid was coming on me. Oh, I would Tell be running for the bench change. Not a chance. <laughs> or, or, or Nathan McKinnon or, you know, the speed of the game right now. It's uh, yeah, I'll stick. I certainly feel more like an analyst now. Uh, I watched the, the skill level. It, I think the product is just phenomenal right now, the way these players, these athletes play the game and uh, do it at such a high level. Um, I miss it at times, but uh, that those, those times are getting more and more rare, especially when I threw on the full gear for the first time in a year. It was it two days ago to play against our high school team? A bunch of us did. And uh, yeah, I was like, okay, I'll pack that back up for a while. That's that sucks when the, the high school guys are looking at you like that guy played the uh, NHL. <laughs> like, well, well, the pro the problem is that they were I was it was okay, but the problem is my I can't find that level where you can just okay, it's you know something will something will agitate me and it like goes from here to <laughs> and and the body can't go with that type of uh, adrenaline rush or anger I get when I still play the game the you know the emotions so. Uh, you know what? It's good. It's, uh, I do miss it. I got to get out a little bit more. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. It's so good to hear, uh, hear life is, is going well for you. Did you guys ever talk about back in the day who would be the best, uh, analyst when they retired was, was Shane at the top of that list? I don't think it, like, like tonight, tonight's his point. We never really talked that much about life other than hockey or life after hockey it's it's one of those things to his point that i think makes athletes really good at what they are because they focus on the here and now and i always say it's actually part of if i ever talk to young guys part of the advice is don't show weakness and don't let yourself believe in any weakness and that's like horrible mental health <laughs> advice but but it serves you fairly well as an athlete because you you never show weak your weakness or your doubts or anything like that. But you, if you do it often enough, you kind of start convincing yourself that you don't have any weaknesses or any doubts. And, you know, it might catch up to you later, later where, you know, you have to deal with the repercussions of, of living a life like that. But at the time when you're playing, it, it really is helpful. You're, yeah. You're in the now. And I think it's great to look back with, you know, what, what Annie's been doing now for the league and, you know, none of us would have guessed authority would have been a, running a you know on, on the business side most of us go most guys go to the hockey ops side but to be on the business side of the florida panthers i, I, I can't even remember his title keep changing he's vice president now whatever it is like big shot big shot yeah he just put you know big big deal i think he just has big shot on his card now chief he was chief something right chief big shot chief there's, big shot now it's always their, their <laughs> special assistant or whatever yeah he's uh but Guys, and I tell you, a lot of things you learn playing at that high level in a team atmosphere. There's so many skills, you know, outside of the schooling that you can take into real life that uh, that'll help you find success in a lot of things. Just finding that. So, in our introduction, about uh, we give a little blurb of like, about, you know, about uh, about the guy that we're going to be interview. And I said, you're you're like Thorny, except you're a better backward skater. Um, <laughs> and so, it, in reference to the fact that you had a command of the room. You had a command of the ice. You kept people in line, whether they're on our team or on the other team. So it doesn't surprise me that you're helping guys out in, in retirement and alumni, you know, really helping out younger guys and being that guy in the room that, you know, would speak at a, a higher level than just, you know, yeah. 
I don't know, dumb jock talk <laughs> in, there in the room. So, uh, so it's a continuation, I guess, of what you were doing with us uh, in 2011. Yeah, when you put it like that, it really is. And, and it was, you know, one of the things that I got asked early on when I started this, are you going to be afraid to go after the players? And I said, I said, well, you know, that's one thing I never had a problem. It's a game of mistakes. I have no problem calling someone if they make a mistake. It just can't be personal. Mistakes happen and guys, guys know it. I think, but yeah, it's, you know, I love the room. If you ask me the one thing we all do, is, do I miss the game? No, you miss the boys. You miss the guys. That's, that's what you miss 100%. And you always will. It's hard to, you'll never replace that type of atmosphere. Yeah. You'll have great friends and family and whatever, but you know, that day to day and, and, and being in the room and chirping guys and you know there's different ways to hold guys accountable you got to kind of read how they are maybe one guy needs a chirp one guy needs a pat um but i love that i think you know it didn't happen instantaneous uh, that's something you grow in a career right um and a lot of it was you know at times there was tough times i was a healthy scratch i, I was considered myself a depth d early in my career and i hated it right and you got a different thought towards the team and when I got injured and came to Boston and later in my career, I understood it. And I knew what I was coming for. I knew playing would be limited. My shoulder was barely hanging on as many other uh, body parts. Um, so yeah, so there, there's other ways to find success on a team, right? You've got to find your niche. What, what's going to make you the most valuable to help this team find success. And, you know, for me, it was, is being the guy in the room. And, you know, my one thing I remember, is Claude always had me do, I did it. I think I did every warm up, right. And I'd always give a, like a 30 second thing before I left you guys uh, after warm up about going out and this and that belief, you know, who knows if anybody listened, but I'm still going to talk and uh, you know, go on the way and, you know, in practice. And, and I think it was Thornton and I who came up with the ideas. Uh, remember we put the, we started bringing all those pictures on the road and the rings, uh, which was uh, sitting there. Of course it was, uh, you know, we had a, Real detailed meeting, probably over a couple Guinness or Stellas to, to come up with that plan. I <laughs> uh, thought, hey, let, let's show what it's all about to win, right? Show guys exhausted, show the celebration, show what you're playing for. And um, it takes a unique, special group of guys. And we really had it that year. It's, uh, you know, obviously just going past the 10-year anniversary, you sit and I start to recall a lot of that. And just, you know, even from when I joined the team late, like I knew a lot of the guys because I wasn't that far removed for just a year, um, missing I missed a good year not to be there with what happened. I'm not going to bring it up uh, in playoffs the year before, but I think adversity grows to what you, you, you got to go through that to win a cup. Um, and, and I remember joining the team and, you know, new guys, but it was so tight. They just, you know, you didn't have uh, different guys going on. It was got, you could hang out with anybody and, and really special. So it was really easy, you know, kind of work my way in there at a late period. And, uh, you know, you got to find the time when you start to, to ramp it up and maybe uh, have guys there. But uh, yeah, what a year it was. A great way for me to finally step away from the game. Well, you make it sound so easy to be able to- It's not. Be <laughs> scratched here and there. Um, to, oh, to take every warm up, to be the good guy in the room and say the right things, to, to lead, you know, it is so hard. I, uh, oh, like start of my career, healthy scratched, end of my career, I had some healthy scratches here in Edmonton. I was miserable, absolutely miserable. So the, the best medicine for that was what I had is I went to Arizona's camp and started the 10 11 season. So 24 hours, they said, you had a good camp. You're going to sign a contract that next practice tore my rotator cuff. Didn't get it done. Uh, so no, I couldn't get insurance because of the injuries in my, and I didn't have a contract. So I went home and you spend 
you go home away from hockey suddenly like that for five months i'm like i'll do whatever that <laughs> that that made it that that gave a whole new perspective of just being back just to practice to be in the room to be with the guys and and also it made me think a lot about yeah you don't need and this is you know a belief i have and i i truly do believe it that you know you're gonna have guys that play your 24 and your eight minutes and your 12 or your 16 minutes a game but every piece of that and it's even guys having the right attitude that aren't in the lineup all of that equates to being able to be a championship team if everybody's on and understanding understanding roles that's what breeds success is you've got to have a bunch of guys that are collectively have the same goal but everybody's role is going to be different and if they can accept that and do it to their best of ability it helps everybody as a whole well i played on two teams that were that were like that calgary uh we went to the finals and lost to tampa bay but you know our captain was jerome mcginlow we had a very blue collar team you know full of guys that played every role but was you know, really respected awesome team obviously boston same kind of environment what do you know success right it's just uh you know those kind of locker rooms yeah. aren't as common as you as, as you'd think but when you when you find the right mix of personalities and the right kind of leadership um it can be pretty magical but uh, what, did you play on any other teams that, uh, you know, had a similar feel? You know, the one team that was similar was uh, Atlanta. Uh, you know, we, we had a great group of guys. I think just, uh, you know, we won the Southeast Division. It was the only time that franchise ever went to playoffs. Um, but, we, you know, it's, and it starts with your leadership. A guy like Scott Mellenby, who's playing his 19th and 20th year in the league, kind of remind, you know, very similar to a Mark Recchi. So widely respected both on and off the ice and, uh, Real good group of guys that hung out, you know, whether it's game day, nod, the, you know, it, it was a lot of fun. The most, I, I still believe to this day, the most talented team I played for were the early 2000s with the Ottawa Senators. Just extreme talent. Uh, when you looked up and down those lineups, I think we won the President's Trophy in 03. Um, but I think it was a team that was built for that post 0405 lockout with the changes. They couldn't get through the clutch grab. It was a team that was built for now, speed, finesse, skill. I'm not including myself in that, but, you know, the Daniel Alfredsons, the Martin Havlitz, the Marion Hosas, the Wade Reddens, you know, Zidane Chara. Uh, you know, we had, uh, you know, a ton of guys, Sean McEachran, a lot of real good players that uh, Vinny Prospel, I think you would have known him. I can't remember the whole roster. I'm surprised I got that many out, but a real talented team, but, it was just missing something to, to take it over the hump. And uh, you've, you've got to have that. So Shane, I want to ask you, we talked about the story before 2011 is important. Going back to your first stint, um, when you came in middle of the year there, 07, 08, that was really the first year back to some level of prominence for the Bruins, right? How did you help contribute to the culture? What was What was sort of your mentality coming in there to help the team sort of grow as they were getting back to a playoff team that year boston was the best fit i've ever come to right from the start so it helped i went in there you always know guys so you know knowing chara uh knew i uh, was metro there too and glenn metropolitan mm -hmm. uh peter schaefer uh guys uh guys so that always makes the transition so much easier is when there's some but then I, you know, I got in there right away and it clicked with a lot of guys, obviously Sean Thornton and I, you know, within a week, he kicked Luch out as his roommate and picked me for the road roommate. Uh, said Luch snored. <laughs> Luch, Luch did snore. He, he yeah. got his own room as a rookie because his snoring was so horrible. It was bad. It was bad. So, and just the style of play and that team, 
And I think that was the start of the build because that team worked so hard to get to playoffs. Like there was not a game. You couldn't fault that team for work ethic at all. It was scratch and claw to do anything he could to get there. Uh, one of my funny stories early on, I don't know if because we were partners off the harp, I think. And I remember we had a practice out as a willing uh, at the practice rink and we were doing one-on-ones for whatever reason, fair lit me up and I fell on my stick and bust my pinky. And I'm very rush. I busted it right open. It wasn't his fault. I just, it was a good hit. I just wasn't expecting it. <laughs> and uh, I remember I had, so I had to play through that, but it was, it was good enough. I, I didn't miss much time. I busted open a pinky. I didn't need much. My hands weren't a concern. Uh, <laughs> And, but yeah, when we were partners, I remember that funny little thing. I, I just remember that team. It was a great group of guys, some funny guy, Jeremy Reach. Uh, Reacher was, uh, you know, a lot of beauties, I guess the word would have been on that team, but it really, it was a fun to play. And I remember that playoffs in Montreal, just to, to take them that distance as, you know, the last seed against the, you know, top. Um, but it really, I think that really instilled the work ethic uh, of that group. Uh, going forward to, to see how, and you could see that's kind of, that was the first step, as you mentioned, of that team really understanding, okay, if you, you've got to work this hard, now let's just add, you know, the talent in there with it or watch the young talent grow. Cause I think like Bergie didn't play that year. So, you know, that's a pretty big chunk of the lineup. Well, sorry for lighting you up. I mean, what were we playing? What were we doing one-on-one? I don't know. I don't know what. Who was on offense? Neither one of us should have been. It was a bad experiment. That's why I never played forward, I guess. Although I was a forward till 17, but uh, yeah. Jeez. You remember a reacher uh, getting like just dropped by the big man when practice? Yes. <laughs> we practiced hard. That was one thing that, yeah, as as a Bruins mm-hmm. team, we we did go very hard against each other and, and yeah, took a lot of pride. The the penalty killers took a lot of pride in what they were doing and would just chirp and oh, slash I loved and it. hack and oh, it was great. I but would try once in a while. Every, we got a little heated. <laughs> I wanted Savvy to cry every power play because <laughs> he'd get the most, and I would just every like that's the worst thing a guy can do to me is show show that it's bothering them. Cause I'm just going to, I'm going to take it and twist, 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 twist just to, and, and Timmy, I loved when Timmy Thomas would get mad, you know, sorry, if guys would shoot pucks in the net while he's standing there trying to clear them out, I'd come and like fire him. And but with Timmy, he'd grab it and try and rip it right back at your head high. But yeah, I see, I miss that stuff. When guys get upset, I mean, <laughs> if you could survive our practices, like most games were pretty tame after that. <laughs> Oh, exactly. So you, you took took us through that year, 10-11, you were injured. Um, take us through the process of how you came back to Boston. And when you did get back, how did you see the team and, and how they had grown since your first stint that, that year plus or so? Well, it, so it started and tore my rotator cuff a little bit in September. I remember Mark Strait tore his a week later and he never returned. So I was fortunate that it happened in Arizona because the doctor there, I think it was Dr. Greg was Lusky. I'm going to give him a shout out because, but he was the top surgeon for MLB, which it's a more common. So, you know, went in, got my road to put aggressive therapy right off the hop. Um, so I stayed there. I, did, I think I did three weeks in Arizona. Then I brought it back to Winnipeg to the place there. And they're like, we've never seen anything like this, this early. So it was, a, it was aggressive therapy. It was not fun, but um, you did that. And, I was going crazy, like stir crazy. We're talking 
you know, I never October, November, December got a little bit better. At least there's Christmas to look forward to. I still hadn't hit the ice, but I'd started to work out again. I was kind of, you know, the still one winged uh, working out. And then the first time I ever skated, I was visiting my brother up in Northern Manitoba and it was, uh, it was for new year's and it was first time he's seven years old. It was the first time we ever got to skate together. Cause you know, uh, and I went on the ice for a scrimmage January one, and then all of January practice with a group of musicians who had the ice after me um doing that at like every day and, and i was at a point and, and i was not sure what's going to happen in life or anything in november so that kind of gave me a kickstart late in november and december and january started skating and then i kicked in and then i got a call um from you know boston the medical staff which said i think peter set it up would you come out to boston i think i flew out late january they wanted their doctors and scotty wah to take a look at my shoulder to see where I was. And I remember they came out and did some testing and said, you're pretty far along. And um, I'm like, all right. And they're like, well, we'll be in touch. Um, then I went back and that even motivated me more. And just, you know, you work your ass off to do anything you can at the hope. And I believe it was in February, uh, you guys were out in Vancouver. It was the Western tour. For some reason, it was the rookie party night too uh right around there uh they're they're like we want you to come out skate with us if everything goes well we'll, we'll figure this out and literally it came out and it was all i was so happy and you know to see guys it was kind of tough because i wanted to make a good impression i didn't want to get too bad but i knew there's a rookie party in there and and, and, it, <laughs> and let's just say i don't have the best willpower in the world for when you're in those situations but it all worked out i had great practices ended up signing uh signing with them in Vancouver and, uh, you know, new, new kind of my role. I wasn't cleared to play. I think I cleared like April 3rd. And I believe it was against Atlanta. The first game I played, it was almost a year to date. Cause I was with the wild the year before we never made playoffs. So it was a long time between NHL games, but man, was it great to be back. Well, the only, uh, people, I'm sure there's some people that are listening that might not know what a rookie party is, but the short of it is every single rookie in the NHL basically has to buy dinner for the team. Uh, and you, you pray that when you are a rookie that you have about five or six other rookies on the team at the same time so you can split the bill. The worst scenario being you are the only rookie on the team and you're buying dinner for everybody. Uh, but every single team does it. Every single player does it. And every year, each team has a rookie party. So typically... You know, a guy like Sheriff or Authority will set up a good restaurant, you know, a steakhouse or sushi place or whatever it is. You know, most rookies have to shell out a pretty big uh, hefty visa bill yeah. <laughs> to, to buy us all dinner and, and it's a heck of a time. But I will say, if, the, if your first practice is after rookie party, like in comparison to other guys, you could actually really stand out and look yeah. amazing because usually it's a very, very bad <laughs> practice uh, after rookie party. I felt nervous for a guy who'd been around that long. It was almost like the beginning over again because it's like, well, what are they going to do? You know, the good thing, I remember Rex and Chara pulled me aside. They said, just go out there. We, we need you in the room, you know, for different things either because I knew I wasn't going to play right away. And, uh, but it, it all worked out. It was good to be back. Great to be around the guys. And, and to, to answer, yes, I could, you could see the growth immediately. Um, you could see this core group that had been together and then brought in, you know, these great young pieces that were, were so integral to the part, to the team winning. Um, 
you know, that's where you got to meet the Merlot guy, a guy like Brad Marchand who started as the Merlot line to playing with Bergie and Rex and, you know, growth of young players and skill and talent, but hadn't lost that work ethic that had been instilled, you know, those few years, years before. Um, and just, I, I just remember how easy it was, like, you know, I went to the rookie party, you know, talking with Greg Campbell, I'd never met and, and, and all these guys um, that had come to the team. So, um, and then Chris Kelly came in who I'd known from Ottawa. So, you know, that helped, uh, it, it was just a great group of guys. And I, I just remember how, how easy, just like it was before when I went to Boston the first time, how easy was the transition. And, you know, to me, that speaks to the quality and leadership and, and core, uh, the Zonin organization when you can have people come in and, and it be that, uh, that seamless. So when we're actually playing, I touched on it a little bit before, an incredibly tough role is to be ready to jump in to the lineup at playoff speed at the drop of a hat. The first, you know, a guy goes down with an injury, blocks a shot, you know, hurts a shoulder, whatever it is. And you're just sitting there and you're practicing every day and you're getting ready and you're watching the games and you're a part of the meetings. Um, you know, for yourself, you're taking warm up. That's a huge bonus. But, but, but to be able to jump into a game at playoff speed is an insane talent. Like, I don't think that gets enough credit. I don't care if you're playing 30 seconds of a playoff game. That is a tough job. Yeah, and I came in in the Montreal series, right? I think it was game two. And I remember, you know, I'm like, oh. And the, and the Donnie, uh, the trained Donnie Del Negro and, and Scotty Wall at the time, like, okay, whatever you do, do not fight your shoulder, whatever. And I forget what it was, and it was probably the wrong time. But as I mentioned, sometimes things just go off. And it was Wisniewski hit somebody, took a penalty, and then I jumped in and fought. And it was early in the fight. I said, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done this. Uh, the strength wasn't there, but uh, it was good to be in game. And then in the Philadelphia series I played, I remember being scared. I think it was in the Vancouver series late when Seidenberg, somebody said, be ready, sizes. And I, I was like down on my knees that night praying for sides. I didn't mind jumping in in the other rounds early in the series. But to come in in the final, like, I think it was like five, game five or six. I'm like, no, thank you. At this point, I would have. And I, it, once you get in the game, too, uh, you know, the initial nerves and anxious energy has gone. Uh, I think it's all that leads up to it that bothers you. And I was like, oh, he's good to go. <laughs> and uh, as much as I would have loved to have played looking back now, but at the moment, certainly uh, he was so valuable to our team. And he, he wanted him in at that point. Yeah, that's a t that would be a tall ass. Just cold sweats up in the press box. Yeah, not good. It was, uh, I think it was kind of the day before they said, oh, and I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, but, uh, you know, it, it all worked out. I, I wouldn't change a thing. Certainly, you'd love to play more. But uh, at, at that point, and I said, I'd, what, I'd gone through all through that season of being home and you battle some mental things and then you get back and you have such an appreciation for the moment, the guys, the team, and being part of it and understanding that, hey, you can take a big role, even if it isn't the guy going out scoring the goals or blocking the shots or doing penalty, whatever it is, you can have a role in other ways. And, and I think that's something that uh, I wouldn't have got to had I not gone through that real rough patch before. So what kind of uh, observer are you up in the press box during the Stanley Cup finals? Because we see the odd video of like Cam Neely and Shirelli like <laughs> punching each other. Were you the guy that was pacing around punching guys and or were you just calm? Very, no, I was not calm. I wasn't punching or anything. I don't think I was at that point. You know, there was different tasks. I remember when Tyler Sagan wasn't in the lineup in Tampa, 
and I was sitting up with him, talking to him, telling him, see this, do that, you know, um, and he was the type of guy. And I don't know if you remember the practice when we were doing drills down low it was right around that time. And Char was up. I said, Z, let me go next time against Sega. And we went in the front of net and I laid a cross check on him, sent him about, you know, five feet on the ground face first. Then the puck went in my corner. We were playing three and three down low, went in my corner and he just ran me. And I don't know what he thought. I said, now that's what I want. And then, uh, you know, just trying to tell him, you know, he's a young guy. He's figuring out that's, that, that's what I want. And, you know, certainly we know what happened once he came back in the lineup and that time he scored two goals when he came back in, but yeah, in the finals watching, I was a disaster. I was, well, you think about it, not in the finals, we three game sevens, like you're talking. And I remember where we used to play soccer in, I would sit out there by myself and I think I'd play a game on my phone. I can't remember what game it was just to get my mind away uh it was yeah they were tense moments especially the overtime games not easy the most confident i felt was game seven of the final and i'll remember i forget what exactly i said but i said i got total trust in this game when i left after warm-up i'm telling you this is the the best i've felt all playoffs i've got complete trust you guys got the job ready and will be done and and yeah it was uh it was good that that one was easier than the others for whatever reason that's awesome. Did you guys watch up in the press box or were you in the dressing room? We watched in the press box for that one. We had uh, not the press box. We had a suite for game seven. I was up there with Horty and uh, a few of the other guys. And, you know, Horty was because he, he became a guy trying to watch because, you know, he he's a guy that wants to be out there and be, you know, he had been a difference. The goals he scored were, you know, massive. So, um but yeah, and I remember, you know, us rushing down to the room, Horty, and how excited, you know, to get ready to join you guys after and just, uh, you know, special memories. But there was certainly uh, some tense time. The Montreal series, that, that one maybe was the hardest just because, you know, Boston, Montreal, we lose the first two at home and, you know, go from there, game set, you know, overtime, it just because uh, we hated them so much and I still do. I just lost to them again, although I'm not part of the team, but I just have to watch the team I call lose to them. So uh, yeah, it's always great to travel back. So you had actually had a probably unique experience then because as we were wrapping up game seven in Vancouver, you were rushing down to the dressing room and you're throwing on the gear with all the other guys, right? Like with Hordy and stuff to get yeah, ready to yeah. come on the ice. Like, what is that few moments like in the locker room? Are you guys all just looking at each other like, holy crap? Like, <laughs> well, for, for, first of all, you have you had to uh, kind of stay away from John Whitesides at the time or else you're going to get tackled or you're going to get bear hugged and lifted in the air or who knows? You might have might did like a full body check, you, you know, how he gets when he was excited. He was just a, a beast of a man that his emotion over the top. He was great. Him and I spent obviously a lot of time. He's the strength coach. So we were together all the time but i just remember going down there i remember in my career do you ever have do you ever have dreams about getting dressed for a game or being late or you know so you can't move your for whatever reason i kind of felt that i'm like i i gotta rush here to get my skates on and it kind of surreal but i i just remember hordy and i'm like all right and i'm like hordy you're going first and uh you know we got ready had everything ready and kind of in the hallway waiting for the final buzzer that shot on timmy he caught it and then obviously waited for you guys. We're going to, you guys went in and then, you know, just out in the celebration and uh, with the guys, you know, that's the thing. I actually went through a bunch of photos 
the other day I had from the plane I hadn't seen in years uh, looking back. And then I watched the thing that was put out by the Bruins, which was pretty cool. The part one, I don't know. I, I always consider myself from that thing. I was like the photo bomb. I don't know how I got in so many photos. Uh, like even, even if you want to look like Timmy Thomas, the sports illustrated cover, they've got everything kind of blotched out in the back. Take a look at it. There's, there's one doe head that you can see and it's me. I have a bunch of buddies like, Holy, were you, you're a camera hog. Like, were you just going around looking for lenses? I'm like, no, we, I said, I played with a guy like that named Aaron Ward years ago. But, uh, <laughs> oh my God. That's so bang on, but you know, Ward was the only guy, you know, everybody wouldn't wait around for me. He's the only guy that his name wasn't on the board. He'd wait for media. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, so I was looking, it's great to look back at the photos at the time. It was great to see that video, which I hadn't seen uh, of us. And, and so basically it's a, it's a 20 minutes of us just partying, but uh, you know, certainly for me, I, I appreciate it a lot to see all that stuff. That's awesome. And your hometown has 3,500 people. Oh, it might be up to around 4,000, maybe 4,500. Now it's grown, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a special moment back then. You took it back and they gave you, obviously they made you mayor uh, immediately on the spot and, do you get a sign like as you're driving into town now? Oh, they had that before. Oh man, yes. But now they've got uh, they've got a sign on the arena now. The, there's myself for Stanley Cup champion, and uh, I don't know if you ever came across. He was a tough guy in the minor, Tristan Grant. Oh, okay, that, that's actually yeah, that's a throwback. I know. Yeah, he 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 won the Calder Cup, so we're both on the arena. But yeah, I have a sign out of town, or just as you come in. Uh, but it was a great day, right? We all know it. You know, for me to take it to a small town that had never seen it and it's such as a hockey frenzy there. And, you know, you got tons of fans. I signed autographs. We did it, in, of course, in Manitoba style. I threw a social, which people won't know listening. To. That's basically a big party gather. You, you rent out like a big hall or what we used as the hockey arena, sold tickets and donated it all back. And, uh, you know, it's a party, music, DJs, and you make some money. But uh, I had a special, because Johnny Boychuk got it after me. Uh, and I guess I can tell a story now because it's, it's a lot, it's very old. There's a certain time when the keeper of the cup would take it back to his hotel or whatever. But when you live in a town of 3,500 and my, and my mom's a very outspoken lady, thank goodness. Cause I believe that's who I took after. Um, so we had our party all day. We got there limo with my family. We had to go from Winnipeg, which is two hours. Cause that's the only airport. Um, drove in the party, had a close party with friends and I did autographs for, I think there was 1600 people in line, which is, you know, you're talking half the town. So a lot of that, then the party and then one o'clock and I was like the hotel, my mom's like, you're not staying in a hotel. I made up the basement room. You'll be staying there. <laughs> so awesome. then we took, so afterwards we got to take the cup with just close family and friends to, to, to our house. And, uh, and my dad, of course, in small town, his garage is the cleanest place. Cause he's, uh, he's meticulous with all his fishing and his hunting gear, but it's all, he cleaned it up and we had a garage party with the cup till, uh, till the wee hours of the morning. Uh, and, uh, the actual, the guy that did it, uh, got a ride from friends of ours back to Winnipeg. Um, but yeah, there would have been a chance in there to, to close an empty en empty chest and send it off to Johnny Boychuk. Cause that was the next stop. Or else I wish I would have put a note in there because, uh, but we had a lot of fun. There was, uh, let's just say I didn't make it as late as some of my friends. And there's some really good photos of the cup. Uh, me, uh, I'm basically the prop with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. That, those are probably the most cherished ones. That's great. Yeah. You, do, you did it upright. Yeah, we did. We, it, was a, it was a great day. Great day. 
All right, Fair, what do you think? We wrap it up here with some rapid fire? Let's do it. Yeah, rapid. All right, I got I got one for you, Shane. Uh, how often do you have to hear Ghosh talk about his get the duck boats ready call? How often is that? It's not as much as you'd think. The one thing he complains about and more, and which he should, is he should have patented it. How many times has it been used since? So that would be the one I hear maybe more about. Like, he, he lost <laughs> out. Like, it's been used because, you know, Boston, you know, sports town, they seem to win every year somewhere. Um, but, yeah, he, it was a great call. It's in the intro to this podcast. Yeah, so. we, can't, we, can't, we can't be charging money for that. Our sponsorship yeah, isn't yeah, exactly. Enough. That's true. That's true. That, that was his miss, not mine. <laughs> so we had a pretty good night at Foxwoods. Uh, I believe that I had uh, a few Bud Lights. I had a few Bud Heavies. And I had a bunch of champagne. Uh, yourself, what was your go-to uh, in Foxwoods? Oh, I don't know. What wasn't it? Um, <laughs> it wasn't the Amstel Light. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, what would it have been? I would have probably been, um, at that time, would have been Rum and Seven. Uh, yeah, there's a good picture of me tilting up for Z. It's a big bottle alone, let alone to get it to Chara's height. But yeah, there was it was everything. It was a great night. Just, you know, to be with the guys and... and uh, like I said, that's all you kind of want at that time, right? Uh, spending it with the guys as much as you could. Uh, and the cool one for me, and I know everybody's seen the pictures. I don't, not everybody was there for it when we took it to Adam Sandler. That was, uh, that was cool. And, and the stories about that. So I better tell this story just so I think Boston people love to hear this. Um, I forget where we were sitting one night. It was Luch and Rask and Soupy Campbell. And it was kind of the off night. And we're like, oh, the cup. And meanwhile, when we went to, I think, Liberty Hotel, we celebrated, was that night one? I met this guy who said he's a, you know, on the cast stage, Adam, Adam Sandler's making this movie. Is there any chance you guys can get it out there? I'm like, oh, whatever. A guy gave me his number. And so we're sitting around. I'm like, well, this guy. And Lucia's like, oh, yeah, some guy. I'm like, well, let me call and see. So I call this guy. He's like, oh, just give me a second. Uh, what's your number? I, number. And then I got the call. He said, and it's some guy. He says, oh, this is, uh, yeah, I'm Adam's assistant here. We're filming, you know, 20 minutes outside Boston. Uh, do you guys would love if you guys could bring it to set? I'm like, so I hang out with Luchi, like gives me his number. I say to the guys, what do you think? He's like, yeah, right. You know, I'm getting chirped. So I call the guy back and Luchi, I go, okay, I, I'm going to get chirped. How do I know this is Adam? And next thing I hear, I hear this voice, hey, Sheriff. I'm like, well, I know who that is. And sure enough, Luch is like, and right, and Tuca, I think, whatever they found out, Rex had it. He's like, sure, come. I'll grab it. Got a limo, went out there on set. It was great on set. We talk about close team, like Adam Sandler, like everybody there, like the guy from Waterbury with the crossed eyes, and all of them are out there and they're chirping. They kind of got that same. It's a real close group that they make movies with. I think it was Grandma's Boy he was making. Um, anyways, had a great time with him and went back. The next day was the parade because he called me again uh, right when we're loading on the to to the duck boats and he's like hey man is there any way i can get on the duck boat and i'm like oh shimmer because he's staying downtown right on what's the oh what hotel i forget what hotel would have been it's like i got a happy gilmore jersey i'm gonna try and wear can i get on so i'm like shimmer yeah he's like anyway so i'm trying to keep touch with him we're at the point where he's supposed to meet me and he calls me sorry man i came out and that gilmore i can't get by he said i harassed so he couldn't get to to the meeting point but uh just a regular dude, great guy. Uh, actually ran into him here in Vegas a couple of years ago again, right around the anniversary of when we won too, which is kind of cool. But uh, 
real good guy. And it was kind of cool that uh, would have been, how great would that have been if we had happy Gilmore up on one of the duck boats? That would have been very, awesome. Very, very close to happening. I love that. I mean, I think we got to end it there. Fair. We can't top that story. That's really good. Fun, fun fact. Hey, fun fact about Adam Sandler filming that movie was in my hometown of Everett, Massachusetts. He almost came to my graduation that year, which was uh, oh, nice. the night of game three of the final as well. So how does somebody, Russo, how does somebody almost come to your graduation? He was filming in town. <laughs> he was filming in town. He's that type of guy, right? Like, you know, I've gotten to know people that how, cause he's been in Bay, like, he just comes and he, all he wants to do is he wants to go to Pac Sun and buy big shorts and t-shirts, play basketball, do a show, eat Chinese food and fly out. Most regular guy ever. Just a great guy. It's awesome. Well, that would have been iconic. The what if. Good stuff. Awesome stuff from Shane Knighty. Sheriff, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it's great, guys. Thanks for having me. Always, You can tell I always love to talk. No, nah, it's, it's a pleasure, buddy. <laughs> Thank you. We'll be back to wrap up another great episode of Cue the Memories presented by Bud Light right after this. The Pro Shop powered by 47 at the Hub on Causeway is Bruins fans' one-stop shop to gear up for hockey season. Find the largest selection of authentic jerseys in the city, the latest in Bruins headwear from brands like 47, and even more exclusive black and gold merchandise. Visit the Pro Shop during your next visit to TD Garden or shop online anytime at bostonproshop.com. And we're back to wrap up another episode of Cue the Memories. Andrew Ferentz, that might be my favorite one yet. Wow, that was some great stories. Uh, and he is absolutely a natural for TV, huh? A natural for TV, yes. And also you could see the the, the value of having a guy like that in the locker room mm-hmm. to tell stories, right? To break up the, the nervous silence before a game, right? To, you know, bring up a funny anecdote from earlier in the year to you know, make fun of somebody or whatever it is, just to poke, uh, you know, to poke somebody with a good story. So just great guy, great conversationalist, obviously, you know, you could strike up and and learn about all the guys on the team and, and have relationships with all the different guys on the team, just by being a good listener, by being a good storyteller, by being that, uh, uh, yeah, like I said, that really valuable um, uh, guy before, you know, big games, like he mentioned, Claude put him in for all the warmups. That's not normal. Like mm-hmm. usually don't, you don't yeah. dress, you know, guys that aren't playing for, for warm up. you know, that's known and they just mm-hmm. kind of go up the press press box or go into the gym and get a workout. But you could tell why Claude would want him in the room, dressing up, taking warm up, being part of that, um, you know, pregame ritual because uh, it's very valuable to have a guy like that. Yeah, no doubt. And I think Bruins fans really uh, appreciate Shane and, and have always liked him over the years. You know, they may look back at the cup run and say, oh, I don't really remember him playing that much. But I mean, just that story about him and Segs there in a practice and, and how he got him ready with with his, you know, the talk in the press box and then in the practice to to go at him and get that pushback from him. Like those little things that that didn't factor in during, you know, the run itself, but they all contributed to that. And, you know, he had again, such a huge impact uh, with maybe some of the little behind the scenes things that he was doing that people don't know about. And that's why he was such a big part of that group. That was a really good story. I actually really, I really liked that a lot. So that was a, a, a great insight into yeah, some of the stuff that's never going to make the highlights. It's never going to make the newspapers, but just incredibly important. No, no. Great stuff from the sheriff, Shane Knighty, Andrew Ferentz. Thanks as always. Thanks buddy. See you soon. See ya, and thanks to all of you again for listening to another episode of Cue the Memories presented by Bud Light.